0: Jam out. I know you don't want to miss it on your way home. So please open to 1 John chapter two. Thank you for those of you who are joining us online. I know we had a little hiccup with the um, sound during the music. I pray that it is all good now. We are praying for some of you who I've seen on here. I was scrolling a little bit earlier just to see who to pray for. So if you have prayer requests, please drop those there. If you have the Bible app and you did not scan the notes in the lobby, there's always a QR code in the lobby every Sunday that will show you the Bible event notes for today. And it has some extra scripture to study. And there's a reading plan. I really like the reading plan that is in there um, for this week specifically because this is a very deep, theologically packed book. Um... It, at times, I can jest a little and use humor a bit, but when we come to these books, I need you to understand the gravity of what God is talking about. So I need to summarize in 1 John chapter 1. He says he is writing these things, these five chapters, so that you and I can have joy. He's writing it for his joy. He's writing it for our joy, our joy in being connected to Jesus and others. And then in the end of chapter one, a a verse that you need to memorize is 1 John 1, 9. And I'm going to, I shouldn't read it because it's memorized in like so many translations in my head. If we confess our sins He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And whatever version you memorize it in, the ESV, the NLT, the the King James Version, get that verse in your heart and mind. Because in this book, including today, there might be passages that make you think, am I actually forgiven? Am I actually a believer? And you have to understand that as John is writing, he's building on that first opening sentence, the first opening lines of 1 John, when he says, if you want forgiveness, if you want to be a child of the light, ask for forgiveness. Confess your sins, because he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, the, the message this morning is, is that you can, and, and I didn't put the ellipses, you can dot, 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 because he did. You can overcome Anything in your life that is sin, brokenness related. And if you're new here, when I say the word sin, I know we're all loading in our definition. Like the bad thing, the do's, the don'ts, etc. Sin is when we choose good and evil for ourselves. That was the very first sin. When Adam and Eve, God said, don't eat this. And and Satan said, it's because if you do, you'll know good and evil. And they said, we want to know good and evil. We want to make up the rules. And they chose it. They chose their own rules. And if you want to overcome something in your life, you can there is power available to you. But it begins with understanding who you are. And that's what this passage is going to point us at this morning. Last, uh, over the last few years, uh, I get calls. And as a pastor... The calls that you get are usually something like this, and and it's actually changed. It used to just be cold cold calls. People don't cold call me rarely at all anymore, unless it's an emergency, someone's going to the ER or something. Usually it's a text that says something like this, and maybe you get these from your friends. Maybe it's just being a friend. You get a text that says, hey, do you have a couple minutes to talk? Anyone got one of those texts before? And you know it's coming, right? They're not like, by the way, just got a hundred Dunkin' Donuts. Come on over, let's partay. There's never that. It's, okay, I'm going to talk. And you're wondering. Maybe you're like me. You're wondering, oh, I did something wrong, right? And you call him. And in my vocation, it's usually something's hurting in someone else's life. Because sin. Because brokenness. Because this life has difficulty. And I don't want anyone to sin. It's not my hope and desire that any of you would sin. When my children were born in the hospital, I didn't look at Jackson and say, ah. Oh, I hope you grow up to be a wild stallion of a man, sowing your oats in different people's fields. I hope you murder by the time you're 12. I hope you grow up to be an organized crime boss. I didn't look at my daughter and hope for sin. I hope for the exact opposite. My daughter and I have been having these weird conversations, my older daughter. It would be very awkward if my younger daughter was doing this. She's doing this thing now where she shows me what a kid stands like and what a teenager stands like and then like what a mommy stands like. And last night she goes, Daddy, I've got this down. This is how teenagers say hello to people that they like. And I looked at her and I had words that I wanted to say and couldn't. Um, I just said, where are you getting this from? kids YouTube. I said, what's on kids YouTube? I know some of you parents are judging me. You let your children watch kids YouTube? Yes. Like Jackson and I watched the first 10 minutes of Saving Private Ryan just because he threw up and we had to stop. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. We didn't stop. <laughs> it's, um, I don't want sin for my daughter or my sons. I don't want sin for you. And John gives us his second plead and telling why he's writing this book. It's going to be on the screen behind me, chapter 2, verse 1. My little children. It's like a term of endearment. He's an old apostle writing, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Right? We've heard this in church. My chapel family, I am reading this to you, knowing whole well that the majority of you will not make it home without sinning. I'm confident in the stupidity of Florida drivers. And it's not just Florida drivers. But I'm confident that you will disagree about something. I'm confident that someone will make some poor choice on the road. I'm confident that some kid will spill some coffee beverage right down the Bermuda Triangle of your car seat where nothing returns. I'm confident that it will send some dad like me just boiling like a thermometer about to pop. Sorry, that illustration really doesn't work for anyone under 50 anymore. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But, what do we like at the chapel? Big buts. Thank you, Corey. One person. But if, any, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Okay. You sin, Jesus steps in front. Says, they're mine, Father. They're forgiven. It's that easy. I don't think that we understand, even though I've said it a hundred, over a hundred, over a hundred times, how perfect we are. And we talked about this a little bit in the band of brothers yesterday. Eric brought up position versus condition. Today, I want to reframe it into our position before God versus what we practice here in this lifetime. Your position before God is perfect, forgiven 100%, holy, saint, loved, adopted. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus in you. He doesn't see the messed up versions of you. And that's not me saying it. It's the Bible saying as far as your sin is east, as far as east is from the west, that's how far I've removed your sin from you. And it's so hard for us to believe it. Not only about ourselves, but some of us believe it about ourselves because some of us grew up in the self-esteem movement. When I tell you something like, God loves you, all you think is, that's amazing because I love me too. Some of you hear the phrase, like, God has a wonderful plan for your life. And you think, that's amazing. I've got a wonderful plan for my life. Now, if you grew up in that era, I need you to understand that it may not be you that you're seeing, inaccurately, but you'll look at others. You'll look at others and you'll see the sin in others, and you'll highlight the sin in others. I can't believe they're that way. Why can't they be as good as me? I'm writing to you and I'm reading this to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, John is pretty optimistic in this book. Paul would have been much less optimistic. Paul says, none are righteous, not even one. Their throat is an empty grave. Everyone's a dirt bag. But John's like, look, I don't want you to sin. But if you do, Jesus is there. And you're perfect. Your spouse, if they believe that Jesus died for their sins and rose again, they are a holy, perfect, righteous person. Don't shake your internal head right now. Husbands, do you agree with me? Blink twice if you're safe. Wives... Here's why it's important. We, we've all, we all know the legal system. We're all legal esper, experts because we watch all those shows like Law and Order. So we all understand this. The advocate is someone who stands in the gap and says, I'm standing for this person. I'm representing this person. I'm telling the, the side of this person's life that matters for the court. And that's what this carries, the legal weight. And in this case, it's Jesus saying, Father, look. Here's what you have seen from your omnipotent perspective, but I have taken all of that on me so that when you see them now, Lord, just remember that I covered them. And we don't do it. That's why we judge people. That's why we still get frustrated with others and ourselves. We're addicted to our self-righteousness. We don't want someone to advocate for us. We advocate for ourselves. I was speaking recently with a brother and reminding them of the sin patterns that we all have. When you sin, we do the same thing Adam and Eve did. First they covered up, then they hid, and then they blamed. If you look at sin in your life, you will have a tendency to either cover up or hide or blame. Sometimes in that order, that was the order Adam and Eve did. They literally covered themselves with leaves and they hid behind the bush. And then when they found behind the bush, God said, what's going on? And they started pointing the finger, bop, bop, bop. Look at the sin in your life. How do you cover it up? What do you do to try to make it so other people can't see your sin? Where do you go to hide? Are you the person that when your brokenness, your bad choices, your addictions, when they come to the surface, are you the kind of person that has to go in your car and drive away? Or you have to go to your room and brood by yourself? Or are you the type of person that has an excuse? And I can do all three. I'm an expert at cover, hide, blame. And that's why we need verse 2. See, Jesus can advocate for us. He can advocate for us. He could say, they're mine, Lord. They're mine, Lord. They're perfect, Lord. They've got my report card, my record, my righteousness. But we need verse two. And this is a big word that at least me and Jesse are going to love. He, Jesus, is the propitiation. Everyone say that five times fast. No, don't do it. Don't do it. You got it. I believe in you. Propitiation. That's not a word that we're using, by the way. I dare you, triple dog dare you to take a video of you using that in a convenience store today. If you do, I have a, there's a $5 gift card in it for you, okay? And it might get a little expensive. If you do, there's a pat on the back for you. If you can use the word propitiation while buying a Slurpee, I'll be impressed. And the person behind the counter will be confused. He is the propitiation for our sins. It just means the appeasement. It means there was an amount that had to be paid. It means that there was a bill that was due. It means that there was something that had to be paid for in full. And Jesus appeased it. What was it that he appeased? The wrath of God against sin. The propitiation means that Jesus saw what was owed for all brokenness in the world and said, I will absorb and pay for that. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. The sins of what? The whole world world. Now you can try to parse and escape and manipulate and formulate, but at the end of the day we have to remember that Jesus died for other people, not just for you. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. There is access to every single person to be freed from sin, not just the penalty of sin, which is separation from God forever, but power of sin over your life. And this is how you know, if you want to know if you're saved, this is a very simple way. By this, we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, the proof is in the pudding. Do you keep his commands? Well, do you? Do you keep his commands? Don, do you keep his commands? So you, you're not a Christian. Is that what this is saying? It's not? It's not? Let me read it again. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Marty, do you keep his commandments? Try? Do you fail? Failure. Finish her. Gia, you keep his commandments? Perfectly? You ever fail? Did you fail yet today? Yesterday? Then how are we even Believers? Do you fail His commandments or you keep them perfectly? See, some people may accuse you if you are a grace addict like me. I tell people all the time, you're going to sin. I don't have to encourage you to sin. I know that you're going to. I wish that we wouldn't, but I know that we are because positionally, before God, we are perfect. But our practices, the things that are wired into this flesh and blood, will cause us to lean away from God, will cause us to choose right and wrong for ourselves, will cause us to be self-centered, self-focused, instead of God-centered, God-focused. The commandments aren't just all the things that we don't do. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't covet, don't steal. The commandments, at the root of them, And this is what John's going to get to. There's one root of this. If you want to know what it means in this context to keep the commandments, it's wrapped up in one word that churches will abuse and pull in and out of the junk drawer and we abuse it in our culture. It's the word love. I know this because right next it says, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, verse 7, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. If you love, you're in the light of God. If you hate, you're in darkness. It's that simple. It's not about all the commands that we do and don't do, but I think it's very interesting. The most repeated commands in the Bible are not the ones that most people associate with Christians. If you were to ask somebody and, and try this out, Ask somebody, hey, what are Christians, like, known for? Like, what are the rules that a Christian has to follow? Try it. You'll hear some of the rules. Do you think you know where they're going to go? Many people, younger generations, they're going to beeline to the the sexual immorality clauses. They're going to say, well, this is what Christians are about. We were talking about the guys that hold up signs outside Raymond James Stadium and use the bullhorns. And I thought, you know what would be really fun? Is to hold up signs that have like the positive side of Christianity. So I was thinking, can I, I just need some feedback before I do this, because this will end up on the Facebook area neighborhood page. Do you think it would go good or bad for me if I held up a giant sign right here on Fishhawk Boulevard that says married people should have more sex? Good or bad? Like I'm asking, like, should I put the chapel's website or not on the bottom of that? Because that's something that the Bible commands and asks of us and encourages us. If you were here just a, a short time ago, we did, we walked through that book of the Bible about sex and intimacy and love and pouring out your life for your spouse and reciprocation. I remember my friend who, who used to pastor Jesus Church, he moved to Michigan. Uh, he, they were the ones that put up the signs. They made it on the ABC that it was like the uh, porn kills love signs. That was the Jesus Church that meets here. They put them all up and down Bloomingdale. People were just ragingly mad. Like, all the mom, how could you? My child read the phrase, porn kills love. What would you rather have them read? Like, go collect transmitted diseases? Like, what do we want here? What message are we sending? Maybe we need to have messages that are the positive ones from the church. You see, love and hate. Light and dark. We are loading our definitions into each of these. John is writing this to you so that you will not sin. He wants you to not sin, and the way to not sin is to walk in the light. The way to be in the light is to love others. The way to love others is to look at what Jesus did when he loved others. He laid down his life for his friends. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for others. Love is saying, what I want right now is not as important as what I can provide and give and show for this situation, for this person. It has implications in the way that we parent, in the way that we love our neighbors, in the way that we love our spouses and our coworkers and our employers and our employees. It's very easy to walk in darkness. We call it things like, I'm tired. I don't feel like it right now. We can say many things that we would never think of as sin because we're not thinking in terms of light and darkness, love and hate, caring versus uncaring. We're thinking in terms of, well, I'm not killing anybody. I'm not thieving from the world. I'm not cheating on my taxes. I'm not coveting things. I'm just tired or I just don't like that person. In church culture, we've got this phrase, it's called an EGR. Does anyone know what that stands for? Extra grace required. That's a way that as Christians we say we don't like you. But we don't say it to you, we say it about you. Because if there's any place where you can gossip and get away with it, it's the church. We're professional gossipers. EGR, I've known so many EGRs in my life. Some of you know an EGR. Some of you are sitting next to an EGR right now. Some of you, if you're like, I don't know a single EGR in my life, you are the EGR. (laughs) You are the one who requires grace from others to be around. We're also good at saying things with such an undertoned disdain, like God bless their heart, means you're, that person's an idiot. We just don't say it with the idiot word, because that doesn't seem very Christian-like. God bless their heart. You ever heard someone say that to you? My favorite, of course, that I've mentioned is when someone comes up to you and say, Brother, I, need, I just need to speak the truth to you in love. Usually it's the most hateful thing that's ever come out of someone's mouth that follows that sentence. It's something about you, and it's all about you, and what you did wrong, and how you let them down. I mean, we have so many weird things that we say in Christianity that mask our self-centeredness and brokenness and desire to jab and poke at somebody. How about this, young young people, maybe old people, I don't know. Maybe this is just me in the youth group years. Remember sitting down for a prayer circle and every prayer request that was shared was for someone else's dirty laundry? (sighs) We got to pray, you guys. We got to pray for Rachel because... She nasty. (laughs) We would gossip in prayer. And I say would, I mean, we probably still do. Here's how you can know if you're a person who walks in love versus hate. Start by asking the person who's closest to you today, how could I better walk in love? to those around me. Like, just lay it on me like peanut butter. I need to know, how. what do you see in me? And don't give any defense. Don't give any blame. Don't cover up any inefficiency or deficiency. The reason why you can accept the criticism is because you're already perfect positionally before God, and you're asking them to help you bring your practices more in alignment with who you are. Because you are a saint, Whether or not you like the taste of that word coming out of my mouth to you, you are a saint. And if you grew up in the Catholic Church, you're almost allergic. You can't receive that because saints are people that go through a process. No, a saint in the Bible is someone who's been washed by the blood of Jesus, who believes in the cross of Christ, that he died on your behalf. And if that's the case, you are 100% perfect. From the moment of faith until forevermore. And you can't believe it because our practices are out of alignment with our position. So if you want to get your practices in alignment with the position, you need to ask someone close to you, how can I better love? I want to be in the light. Where am I hateful? Now, he he writes this little poem. I'm going to read this poem quickly in verse 12. He says this, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. Why are your sins forgiven? Verse 12. Oh, it's not up there. For his name's sake. Did you know that God forgave your sins for his name's sake? Like, we know this functionally as parents. If you're a parent in this room, if your kid throws the tantrum at home, you let them cry it out, right? If they're banging on the floor, they're squeezing the applesauce pouch in somebody's eye. If they do the exact same things at an Applebee's at 12.30 p.m., what are you doing? You're freaking out. Spank them in the Applebee's. Winner winner chicken dinner. But but at home, you'll be you'll you'll be more lenient. Will you be more lenient at home? No. She's the lenient one. Good thing there's somebody grace filled at your house. I'm this way. Look, if I'm at home, my kids can't can get away with a little bit more. And they they kind of stretch my limit until I explode. But if I'm out, my explosion wick goes from maybe like a foot to a centimeter. Don't you dare do that. We all have this. It's a gift that you get. As soon as a kid pops out of a womb, God instills in every husband, dad, mom, you get the gift of the under-the-voice voice. voice. Get your butt back in the chair right now. We're all ventriloquists all of a sudden. Don't you touch me. And the kids are terrified of it. I don't know where it came from. I never practiced it. I wasn't in the delivery room like, oh, my sweet baby, you're going to get it one day. I wouldn't do that. It just wasn't me. But it came out of me. And we do this in the, the negative way. It's for our sake. It's for our sake that we keep our kids under control. And for their sake, we want them to be decent humans, not sociopaths in public. But it's for God's name's sake. Now, we've gotten away from this because we've pulled away from Jewish culture so much. But God did everything, all things. It's for his name's sake. Why did he save us? For his name's sake, that his name would be made much of. Why did God part the Red Sea? Why did God let a little guy that was a harp player knock out a big dude with a rock? For his name's sake. For his name's sake, over and over and over again in the Bible. And for his name's sake, you are forgiven not you will be forgiven, you are forgiven, right now forgiven, you're forgiven for what you did on the way here, for what you did yesterday, you're forgiven for what you're going to say when you walk out of here, you're forgiven for judging the people around you, you're forgiven if you take every sermon you've ever heard and you continue to disobey it for the rest of your life, you're forgiven, and I would say, like some of you would say, well that means you're maybe not saved, maybe it does, Look, I'm not in the game of trying to figure out who's saved and who's not saved. I'm in the game of saying this. You are forgiven in Jesus. And the amazing thing about being forgiven and having this position is that eventually your practices, the Bible tells us, begin to look like your position. You begin to not do things that you once did. It doesn't mean that you become perfect, but it means that maybe you go from from a sin that was all external and you learn to control your urges. Man, I've been trying to eat healthy and it is so difficult. It is one of the hardest things because I I usually do these 30-day experiments. I'm like, you know what, for 30 days I'm gonna do this. And in my mind, I've told myself I could do anything for 30 days. And that's pretty true. Like if you tell me to like you should try this challenge, I could walk on my tippy toes for 30 days, I could walk on my hands for 30 days, like hands and feet, like a bear. I could think I could do those things for 30 days. But now I'm just like, okay, I'm getting old. And um, I look around, I'm like, okay, look, guys in their 40s, like, we just struggle bus, okay? Like, I I need to, like, beat back this age thing that's happening. So this is an example of how sad my life is right now. I wake up, coffee, black, no cream, no sugar. That's not out of preference. It's because I'm a man, okay? Mm, Good. Remember what we said yesterday, Jared? If you took clips of my sermons out of context, I'd just be in so much trouble. Um, And then I'll go to the gym. Or if I'm not, if it's a rest day, I'll do a a carton of egg whites. Have you seen a carton of egg whites? Has anyone seen a carton of egg whites? It's just a bucket of snot. Blop. You just, and you're supposed to shake it first. It just comes out and it's clear and it turns white. There's zero flavor. If I'm really going to spruce up my morning, I'll sprinkle some everything bagel seasoning. And maybe if I have a ground lean turkey, I'll mix in ground lean turkey with egg whites with like everything bagel seasoning. It is so disgusting. It's disgusting. And then for lunch, like a, a third a cup or a quarter cup of pistachios, maybe whatever other lean meat that I have that I defrosted the night before, it's usually chicken. I'm so sick of chicken, I wish that no chicken ever existed. It doesn't matter how you doctor it up. i not say, so, well, you just don't know how to cook. Look, man, I've dumped it in every spice that doesn't have a calorie that I could find. And I just hate it. And a vegetable for dinner, a broccoli, a salt. And here's what happens throughout the day. I'm doing so good. Someone's going to relate to this. I promise you. I'm going to get an amen out of this. I'm rocking this meal. I'm doing so good. Oh, yeah. Chicken, broccoli, salt, quinoa, egg whites, turkey, 830, ice cream sandwiches, popsicles just smearing down my face. Anyone relate? Thank you. And then what happens at that moment when I'm just like getting the final bit of the ice cream sandwich out of the back cavern of one of my molars? Just utter defeat and shame. God, i got to start all over tomorrow. (laughs) And then tomorrow I'm just pouring the same egg whites and I'm just hoping to find some ice cream sandwich residual that just lodged somewhere in my skull. Like maybe, Lord. is no different with your spiritual life. Sunday, you're like, that's it. We're gonna be more loving today. A few weeks ago, I made the dad book where I had this calendar chart my kids could pick time slots where I wouldn't say no. The dads go for a walk. Yes, yes, yes. I made that book for one week and then I quit that nonsense. Every day, Savannah's like, Daddy, you said you'd make the dad book again. Did I? Cause I think the printer's out of ink. Or something. I need to make the dad book again. Because you'll be good for a second. You can be like, oh, yeah, I need to be more loving. Yeah, I'm going to ask my person, uh, how can I be more loving? Where can I be more engaging? Where can I sacrifice more like Jesus? Where can I press in more like Jesus did? And they're going to give you a list and you're going to say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to sticky note on my mirror. I'm going to write it on a sticky note on my sun visor. I'm going to go into this Jesus thing and you're going to be, that's you, egg whites, turkey. Look at me, so good, so big, so strong. Friday night comes. Saturday night comes, and I know, I know the feeling. <sighs> Gosh, do I really have to go to church tomorrow? <sighs> he's, he's just annoying me lately. The music, I don't like the music, it's too loud. He speaks for too long. The people wanna shake my hands. There's like viruses and stuff out here. I'll just watch it at home alone. So my pastor can shame me in the middle of a sermon looking into the camera with starry eyes. Looking at you online people. No, you can still love Jesus at home. But what I'm saying is you'll do good in the beginning because you forget the truths. You know why I eat ice cream sandwiches at 8.30 at night? Because I forget what I'm trying to do. Because at 8.30 when you've been eating protein and healthy and like low sodium and it's, you guys, it's really killing me. Like I, have so, I have multiple friends over the last few weeks where I've just had like just casual conversations and finding out like they have cholesterol stuff and issues and like people I wouldn't have ever thought. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I gotta get my cholesterol checked. I have one friend who had to get the other check, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I'm thinking, good Lord, like this is the phase of life that I'm in. I'm no longer invincible. When my kids like Dad. Let's play volleyball. I'm like 15 minutes. I got to warm up, stretch it out, get my heart rate going first. Okay, let me get the egg white off my mouth. We're ready to go. Spiritually, it's we we forget. Just like I forget why I'm doing what I'm doing with my body, we forget spiritually all the things in this poem. John says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. Remember, your sins are forgiven, are forgiven for his name's sake, not for your name's sake, not for your eternal life, not for any other reason than his name's sake. Everything else is a secondary reason of why you are forgiven. He is writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. You have forgotten that God has always existed. You think that he just took a vacation, went down to the Dominican Republic for a week and didn't see all the things you did. You know who sees everything? My body sees everything. At 8.30 at night, if I eat, let's just say three ice cream sandwiches, we're gonna be conservative, okay? And that's because the Publix ones are tiny. So three is a normal, three is like one from 1989, okay? Three, three, 2021, that's how sad our culture's gotten. Three of them, like it's no big deal. Do you think my body goes, wow, hey, uh, intestines, we have, 1,200 calories incoming. What's it made of? We're gonna go with 99% sugar and 1% magic. Okay, well, you know the deal that Ryan has. He's trying to stay in good shape. Should we just let this all go through? And that's when the love handles chime in and say, no fam, send him here. My body doesn't care. It's doing what it's designed to do. It's storing for famine. Unfortunately, I haven't seen a famine yet in my life. Spiritually, when we forget that we are forgiven, our sins are forgiven for his name's sake. when we forget that God existed from the beginning, that he's doing something in history, when we forget that he's writing to young men because you have overcome the evil one, you are forgetting when you sin that you don't have to sin anymore. That your position makes it so that you don't have to practice what you did have to practice before. Are you saying everyone who doesn't have Jesus in their life has to practice sin? That is precisely and exactly what I am saying. If you don't have Jesus, you will not be able to help yourself. You will be self-centered, self-focused, self-exalting. In Jesus, you get this new position. And you have it in one sense, but you don't practice it. And all God is saying is, remember, you are forgiven. Remember, God is here with you. Remember that you have overcome evil because Jesus is in you. Remember that God writes to you because you know the Father. God writes to you because you know him who is from the beginning. Because you are strong. The Bible says it. You are strong. And the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. The word of God abides in you. You have overcome the evil one. I have this... um, Really cool friend, and we're becoming more friends now. And um, his name's Will. He'll never come to the chapel, I hope. Um, but he's our workout partner. And, and actually, he works with you too. Yeah, Will, big Will. And when I say big Will, I mean big Will, okay? Boy's thick. So I'm at the gym yesterday, and I'm working out, and I just see him over there. He's, he's one of the guys tank tops up, and he's just got, you know, he looks like those people, just a big, big boy. So every once in a while, I'm like, okay, Will, I need help on this exercise. And he goes, he comes on over, uh, he's like, what are you doing? What are you working on? I'm like, I'm working on this. He goes, try this. <laughs> so yesterday, I'm having him just walk me through some chest and tricep exercises. And, he, and he's very like, he's calm, humble. He goes, I'm just glad that you're here. He goes, don't try to kill yourself. Just, just remember, you're old, and he calls me a tall F-worder. Okay, that's just his nickname for me. It's a term of affection. And he calls me that just loud and proud in the whole gym. And I'm like, I'm always wearing these Jesus shirts. Like, love Jesus. He goes, you're one tall, you know. And I'm just like, I love this guy. And he goes, take it easy. The most important part is that you're here. And I yeah, but I want to get this part, this thing. So he gives me exercises yesterday. You guys, I woke up this morning and I went to just itch my face. Yeah, it hurt, but I also woke up this morning, and I did chest and triceps, and it's, like, swollen. I know you can't tell because I'm, like, not that guy yet, but I will be coming for you, Roland. just swole. I lean over to my wife, and I was like, babe, hey, feel this. Check this right here. She's, like, just waking up. Like, I had to plug her nostrils to get her to wake up. <gasps> she woke up. I was like, feel this right here. She comes over, I was like, is that nice or what? Like I had this crazy pompous, I was like doing this machine and this thing and like, one of these dances, I don't know what I was doing. No, I wasn't doing all those, but some of them. And I was so excited. It hurt yesterday. Like it was one of those days where you walk out and you think I'm not doing that with Will again. Like whatever exercise he recommends me, I don't care. And I was Go into my car, and it's one of those days where I'm like, everything that I use my chest for the rest of the day hurt. Like pushing off of something, picking myself up onto a bed of a truck, playing football with my kid. Just everything was hurting, hurting. Today, I feel good. Then I look back at where I came from. And that's one of the beautiful things about physical exercise is that you can see progress if you're doing the body work and the nutrition work. Spiritual lives can be a little trickier because you can't see it as apparently. That's why you need to have people around you. See, I can look at some of you and see amazing, incredible growth over a span of time because you've been here, and you may not see it in yourself. I love the stories that are stored up in my brain, not of the EGR people, but the stories that come up again and again. I just shared the story of Alex yesterday about you guys praying to, to adopt. Let's ask God, Alex. No! Why? God will just say yes. It's like he knew that God would say yes. And that was like three kids ago. Are you guys done yet? Okay. Are you sure? Have you prayed about it? No. I've seen patience grow. I mean, things that we've prayed for, for just people. I, I, I think of you and the way we've prayed for some of our kids, like all of your kids which is a lot of prayer. I'm talking to you, Derek. Like we've prayed, man, I've prayed so much for three of the four of you. So much that one of you's just got to guess which one it is. Yeah. Sorry, Luke. You just get good grades and stuff. And you're too good looking for me to hope for anything else for you. I mean, think of the things we've prayed for you for, Celies, and the victories God has brought about in your life. Like, yes, you probably don't like one of the children in your house at any given moment, but think of how far they've come. I remember coaching Jonah. Remember when he chucked his shoe across two soccer fields in one fell swoop? I thought that guy's gonna be a winner someday. And he's just here, and he's still learning about Jesus. I mean, Amber, I can't even, you'll cry. One of us are gonna cry if we talk about all the things after dropping the kids off at the bus, I mean, the things that we've prayed for Scott, your husband, who's right next to you today. Just only blessings, my friend. Okay. And Riley, you're a giant. I've prayed for you since you were six years old, seven years old, whatever it was. And now you're like a man child. You encourage Jackson all the time. I don't know why you guys aren't even sitting together. It's it's the only time you guys get to see each other because we're not neighbors. Jackson. I'm so proud of you. You read the Bible every night and you comment something. Even if it's heresy, I still love you. You're rocking for Jesus. Every night we're just reading the Bible. It's my dream. When I popped out a kid, all I wanted to have was a kid that read the Bible. And I got to see from where you were to where you are. And from where you were to where you are. Because you two, back in the day, do you remember you guys? You would fight with each other. I'm sure, I, remember, I can't remember who did it, but at one point somebody bit someone deep. It tackles, bush throws. And you guys are like great friends. And I get to watch you have that friendship in Jesus. I get to watch Jay, the first time I met Jay was a tough, tough time in your life. And we just talked and I'm like, I walked away thinking, okay Lord, I'm just gonna pray that one day this guy will just be gripped by your love in like a new and radical way. And he didn't answer in like a month or a year. But now I look at Jay, I'm like, Jay is everywhere. This guy's putting so much. He's just like, I'm going to go serve here. I'm going to serve here. I'm going to get here early to love these people there. I'm going to pray for them here. I'm going to be part of this there. It's crazy to me. Mike, man, God's working on you. Somewhere along the road, you prayed for faith and patience, I guess, for Margaret. And God answered both of those in the most expectable way possible. You need faith and patience? Okay. And it's been so cool and I wish we had Monday nights to be able to, to still bond. Maybe we should just do that again somewhere when I'm not homeless. Um, but I've enjoyed getting to know you and having your fellowship. I need, I need smart people to remind me about smart things and to think critically and use our minds. Jared, the things that God's done in your life just floored me. It's just incredible. And I have all these amazing stories of when God has reminded his kids that he's there, reminded his kids that he loves them, reminded his kids that they're forgiven, reminds his kids that he has overcome evil on your behalf and that you can overcome evil because he lives in you. There is nothing in this world that has more power than the the word of God that lives in you. Nothing, not a single thing. Nothing in this world can separate you from God's love in Jesus Christ. Not heights, nothing up high, nothing down low, no demon, no angel, no lie, no documentary. You have this incredible power to look at who God is and what God did and say, I'm free. I don't have to sin anymore. We got Matt a tambourine. I don't think Matt's here today. He's probably online. We got him a tambourine years ago so he would stop road raging I don't remember who bought it. They bought him a Paw Patrol Trent tambourine because he said, I just, I rode rage. And I said, you know what you need to do? You need to praise when you get mad. And somebody got a, him a tambourine. I don't remember. Do you remember who it was, Mike, that got him that tambourine? I don't know. But he put it in his car for the Selman ride. And he said, when he first got it, like that week, he would just like get mad and... Can anyone not smile when you have a tambourine? Especially one like this? Could you imagine... Somebody mad at you on the freeway and they look over at you in the Selman, and they're just going like this. What he was doing was remembering who God is and what God did on his behalf, not only for him, but for the person in that car. I hope that you would not sin, but, but when you do sin, if you do sin, how you do sin, remember that Jesus stands in the gap. And remember that that Jesus who is in the gap puts you in a new position that is perfect and empowered by God to overcome evil in your life. You don't have to sin anymore. You don't have to. You will. You don't have to. You can walk out of here and say, you know what? I have Jesus in me. I don't have to do this today. I don't have to sin today. I don't have to be selfish today. I don't have to put them down today. I don't have to gossip today. I don't have to judge today. I can just walk and love my neighbor because I am so loved in Christ. It doesn't matter if they love me back because I have all the love that I need in him. It doesn't matter if they accept me because I'm accepted in him. And that's what it will take to love like Jesus loved. To love knowing that you will not get some things back. To love knowing that the person who you are loving will still reject you, but you can press in and love and I get to watch your spiritual lives grow and I pray that you can see it a little bit more today. Because it's not like fitness that you can see changes in a month or 30 days, but it's when you see people over five years and 10 years and you see them stop using certain things and start using others. You see them not tearing people down and building people up. You see them not making it all about themselves, but all about others. You see it in the band of brothers. You see it maybe in your micro churches, and I see it in you, and I'm encouraged. So we're going to pray today, and I'm going to send us out so that we may not sin. But if you do sin, I want you to remember the power that's in you to overcome that sin. I want you to read and soak in this book, you guys. It's five chapters long. If you don't have the Bible app, um, get read the read the devotion this week. It's a seven day devotion. And it's going to make you uncomfortable with how much Jesus has done for you. It's seven days, and you're going to be like, wow, um, I can't believe Jesus did this for me. And he's going to put it into perspective of how complete the work of Jesus is on your behalf and how free you are to walk in this life without fear, to rejoice, to trust, to praise, because those are the most repeated commands. It's not to not have sex, to not steal. The most repeated commands in the Bible are praise the Lord, do not fear, Be glad. Rejoice. All things that are telling you this is what you can do because you're free to walk with God because all that you've done wrong has been paid for. Let's pray.